Greetings and welcome to DWR, Discussions on Writing and Rhetoric, a space for informal conversations around research and practice in the field at the university level, a place inclusive for curious novices, blossoming scholars, and seasoned academics to consider and share their inquiries, experiences, and passions surrounding writing and rhetoric. We are your hosts, Professors Megan Falconer and Nicholas Gardiakos with the University of Central Florida. Thank you for joining us. Now let's get this conversation started. We're joined today by Anthony Lince. Anthony is a Latinx educator and scholar and is currently a lecturer at UC San Diego and other local community colleges, teaching rhetoric and writing studies courses. His current work is focused on equitable assessment practices in higher education, which is part of the praxis in his courses where he utilizes labor-based grading, a method of assessment that aims to create a positive, less anxious, equitable, and anti-racist learning environment. Anthony has published in the journals California English and WPA Writing Program Administration and has an upcoming chapter released in Effective Alternative Assessment Practices in Higher Education. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And um, like I said, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So really happy to be here. Thank you. So uh, sort of a funny story, um, and we'll lead into how we're here today, the three of us. Um, over break, I received an email that just said, hey, I listened to the podcast. I really loved it. Can I see a copy of your syllabus? And because I was checking the email on my phone over the holiday break, I couldn't see anything other than your name. It didn't say like where it originated <laughs> from. You know, usually with an email, there's like you, at edu or something. And um, sure. I'm, I w- unfortunately, the state we're living in, I'm a little paranoid. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, um, I'm not sure what this is, but I'll investigate it when we kind of come back from winter break. And so I was speaking to Nick, and I was like, I got the oddest email, and does this sound weird to you? And he goes, no, I got the same email, and actually, I think you might be our next <laughs> guest for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and so for me, I I'd just, I got, you know, same same email, of course, but uh, I had just gone through the university's cybersecurity training, and there were, you know, one of the mm. things they were like, look for emails that are kind of out of the blue or whatever. And so, sure, I was, you know, <laughs> sure. but I was at home, so I was able to obviously like search and confirm that everything was good. So, um, m- uh, my first question is, how did you hear about or or come across our podcast? Because that that was really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I um, I posted a question on uh, Twitter asking if any other educators had uh, many resources that they had or uh, any ideas on like a writing about writing course, uh, which is something that I've been really interested in as of like, you know, based off of Wardle's work and Downs and, and others. Um, and Dustin Edwards over from San Diego State University, he let me know, he's like, hey, I don't have any resources to share, but there's this fantastic podcast that you should listen to. And specifically um, this episode, which I think it was episode seven. Um, and so, and I did just that. I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is, this is great. Oh, <laughs> and wow. so, yeah, I got a lot of useful information from that particular episode talking about, you know, writing about writing and its importance um, for students and for faculty. And then so had to email over uh, those those very, you know, suspicious uh, emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was wondering if because I, you know, Dustin Edwards obviously was was you know, here at our de- in our department for for a few years. And I was wondering, I'm like, San Diego, that's got to be the connection. But I but I knew you sure, wasn't you, sure. you weren't at the same 
uh, institution. You weren't, you're not at the same university or are you? No. So we were, um, he teaches now at San Diego state university, which is where I taught, uh, for my master's as a teaching associate. And then I taught over there as well as, a um, you know, adjunct or lecturer, uh, for a semester, um, last semester. And so, yeah. So, you know, coming into Twitter, just saying, hey, I'm thinking about switching to a writing about writing approach to teaching composition. I mean, for those of us in composition or those that just teach writing about writing, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> what was your approach previously? And what was maybe making you rethink those approach, your, those pedagogical decisions to what you're how you're approaching 1101 or 1102? Yeah, I so before um, I've been teaching like a, a theme approach you know, where, um, so my classes are focused on like thinking critically about the education system or about language practices. And there's still some of that in, in this new, like writing about writing approach that I'm thinking about, but, um, I was becoming really unsettled with the writing that I was having students doing and, and asking myself, is this, you know, going to be helpful for them outside of this class? And is this, going to transfer from this writing situation to another writing situation. Um, and I'm not entirely sure, but how exactly, but I, I stumbled upon uh, Wardle's work and specifically uh, mutt genres. Um, and that was really influential in getting me. And then I went down the rabbit hole of um, her and Doug Downs and, and, uh, and, you know, some of, and then uh, threshold concepts as well. And mm. just like, you know, going uh, deep into that. Um, and after reading that, it all just started clicking. I'm like, oh, this is why I've been feeling, you know, this discomfort within my, with my, within my own courses, specifically as it relates to, um, you know, the writing assignments. I mean, students love doing them and, you know, I had positive reviews from students and things like that, but, um, I just started to wonder about those questions about transfer, about, uh, you know, are they leaving this class? better equipped to go into the various, you know, um, other discourses that they're going to be asked to, to go into. Yeah, I love the emphasis on, um, like, fostering existing literacies that, mm. you know, often in the in the writing classroom, <clears throat> we come up against the challenge of, oh, it's a writing class, you know, I don't want to do writing, I don't, I don't know how to write, or writing is very fraught for me, or or I'm just ambivalent about it, whatever. But the idea that we tap into these literacies these students have that they didn't even realize were an asset, and we shine a light on them and show them how this can help them in multiple facets of their lives, not just in the classroom, but out, I feel like is is such a, it made me um, drink the Kool-Aid, for lack of a better analogy. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, um, coming into learning about teaching, uh, teaching writing, um, and having these experiences because it's a very different approach than I had at my first go around at taking these classes, you know, 20 years ago, even where it was, we're going to read um, Billy Budd was what I read and write a theme. And that was our composition class, like mm. write, write a paper on Billy Budd. And it's like, well, that's sure, great. Sure. That's great if you're going to be an English major. And maybe that's why I was one. I was just programmed early. <laughs> um, but this idea that, no, there's we're always writing, we're always communicating, and th these are literacies that you have. And here you can take 
ownership of them and also like be proud of them. You know, the fact that texting is often so frowned upon, but it's a literacy that people have. It's it's developing all these these different rhetorical awarenesses, even um, even not knowing that they're doing them. And then we kind of open their eyes to them and show them how it can work in the real life. It, it's very rewarding. And um, and again, it's why I'm all on board. But it's interesting to see how other people in the field come to that approach as well. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting, that idea of like the asset based approach. Um, and I'm noticing it now just in my first week of like, you know, running this sort of writing about writing course, where students are now drawing on um, the stuff that they are writing, you know, the text messages or social media posts, and they're seeing the ways in which they, they format those or they um, tailor those for particular audience specific audiences. And, um, and to me, it's just exciting. It's like, oh, this is really cool. Our whole course is focused on writing. Um, as opposed to a theme and then trying to fit in writing, which there's always the conflict uh, between the two. Uh, and I can never really make that work. And I think, you know, probably that's why I made, ended up making the transition. So you're, you're rolling these things out this semester right now, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. As we speak. Yeah. Oh, that is exciting. Yeah. Um, so, uh, can you tell us what is the course and, and what were some of the, the major changes or shifts that you are, are kind of putting in place and, and kind of seeing how they're going and, you know, kind of looking at the response from students? Yeah, yeah. So the course is, I guess it's like um, the first course in the first year writing sequence. Um, so there are two uh, for our college and it's, you know, essentially 1A and then 1B after. Um Typically, we don't see the same students again in 1B unless they look for us specifically. Um, but, you know, so we're not really sure if we're going to have them again or not. Um, but some of the big changes that I made is is taking out the 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 theme, you know, the, the theme that I had before and just making a focus on writing. I have three writing assignments that I'm, that I'm having students do now. And um, the first one is sort of a looking back and analyzing their own writing practices or beliefs and conceptions and then taking the text that we read in the first unit and thinking about those ideas have your thoughts changed in, in any way and if so how um and use the text as sort of support uh to you know kind of flesh out those ideas and then the second writing assignment is uh you know like kind of a rhetorical analysis um and then the last one is, uh, and this comes from Wardle and Downs from their textbook. Um, this is uh, gaining authority within a discourse community. And so um, I started reading, I forget what chapter it is, but um, you know, some of the ideas that they had Wardle and Downs in terms of like trying out this approach or this writing assignment. And I just thought it was so interesting. Um, and for sure, that's going to, you know, lead to transfer, you know, how could it not? Because students are going to think about various communities and the way they enter them, the way they gain authority. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of a basic setup of the, the, the course. Have you seen any initial difference in reaction to the way the course is structured than, you know, than a typical semester with, with your prior approach? Yeah, I... I guess perhaps there's like a little bit of, of um, confusion in, in terms of, you know, because they're so used to the themed approach and thinking like, oh, well, 
what's the content area or the content of focus. And so, you know, I'm going to have to really emphasize that we're not only thinking about writing as something we do, but also as something we study. And so that's something I'm going to have to like, you know, hammer home. Um, but after this first week of them kind of getting into it, uh, I'm, I'm seeing some like really, really interesting ideas. Like one student, he's talked about genres and how he didn't consider genres as a way of like um, entering a community. Uh, and so, and I just thought that was so interesting. I was like, oh, cool. And I'm going to respond, you know, later today and say like, this is, you know, a great comment. Um, and so, you know, I'm, so I'm noticing little things like that. And so generally I think students are pretty happy. I, uh, of course it's still very, very early, yeah. um, but I'm interested to see how, um, how it's going to play out. Yeah, absolutely. One of the exciting things to me about this kind of approach is seeing, you know, as the semester goes on or as the course goes on or, or even as many, uh, you know, times that I've taught in this way is seeing how some of these ideas about discourse communities, genres, uh, prior literacies end up just changing the way students interact with texts all the time. You mm-hmm. know, I just I, I, I had a, a was grading some reading responses this morning and read one where, you know, a, st- a student was talking about, you know, looking at a piece of advertising or marketing kind of in a rhetorical way because we're still kind of um, looking at uh, rhetorical analysis um, this semester. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, it's kind of just changing the way that he is viewing everything now everything that's kind of coming his way you know he's thinking about in this way what what is the the purpose of this you know piece of of you know this text that is that is you know being sent to me or or showing up in a in a feed uh that i'm looking at or whatever and just asking all those questions it's that that to me is is one of the things that i think is you know you were talking about transfer one of the things that i think can sort of you know be really sort of helpful and influential to them after they leave the class as well this this idea of this can be kind of applied everywhere in their lives and that's that's an exciting idea and i think something that they don't really expect when they come into you know a class like yours like sure, you know, they, sure. they they're probably coming in with with some of those preconceived ideas about what is going to be in this course you know about what can I even apply this to or whatever so that's kind of interesting so I don't know if you're you know kind of seeing some of that happen already in the discussions Uh, yeah I am and and actually one thing that's really interesting is that um, going back to that original question of like what made me you know move towards this approach I was noticing on my course evaluations at the end that students would say after the class like you know I'm a great academic writer or, so, or something along those lines now right um and i mean i for me i would not necessarily doubt those claims but i would say i don't think that i did a good job of of explaining that well when you say academic it can mean a whole lot of things academic in the sciences academic in you know the humanities or you know history it, it, there's a wide range so um you know, one thing that I tell my students, which they find a little funny, is like, you're not going to leave this class, um, you know, you're going to leave with some writing skills, right, and to, to be a little bit of a better writer. But really what's important is that you're going to leave with a, a new framework or way of thinking about writing that's going to transfer. Um, and so I think that was perhaps a little bit unsettling for them to like, wait a minute, this is a writing class. I'm not going to leave like a fantastic writer, you know, and I... Um, just try to explain that that's not really 
possible within one course or two courses. Um, and then, you know, I share with students that for me, it took me four or five years before I even got comfortable, like starting to, to write or even think about publishing something. Um, and so I, I think a lot of those conversations are really um, perhaps a little bit uncomfortable for students to begin with. And then they start to be like, okay, they start to understand, you know, what it is that we're doing in this, this, this writing course. Yeah. One of my favorite things that I've started doing in the past few years is the last assignment they have to turn in and it's just like complete or incomplete, but <clears throat> is um, give me two or three sentences that just tell me one thing you learned in this class that you think mm. will be meaningful to you. And the, the, the variety and the answers runs the gamut, but it's wonderful because, you know, sometimes you start to question yourself like, oh, do I need to include that? Or is this, is this a necessary part of this course? Or like, how can I make this class better? Getting that just like low stakes feedback. And it's so different depending on the lens at which they're approaching the course. Like, what is it that's actually going to stand out to them? Like, I've had people say that peer review was the most important thing. They never realized it was important before. Or, um, you know, I, I use a, um, a video on YouTube from a channel called Teach Argument that I love. Mm. And they do, a, uh, they do a rhetorical analysis of um, some common pop things. I don't think they've published much lately, but they have a rhetorical analysis of Taylor Swift's blank space video. That is, oh, nice. and, <laughs> okay. oh, it's so it's so good because the video is ripe for um, analysis. Like she's making okay. a lot of decisions as an artist to to have messaging in the video that goes along with the song. But I mean, I don't know how many of them have been like, I will never hear that song the same way again now, or I'll never, I'll never, <laughs> sure. I'll never think about listening to music or watching music videos the same way again. You know, seeing how much is available out there. Um, but you know, again, there's just this, um, there's that. That moment that's so rewarding as a teacher where you see the the struggle pays off with something they're going to walk away with, even if it's not what you intended, even if it's not like one of the top five things that you're trying to teach, that this approach allows them to kind of absorb in and then transfer out of the courses you were talking about. Sure, sure. Yeah. What did you say that YouTube channel was called? Teach Argument? Yeah, I'll give them a shout okay. out because I use them every semester. Mm -hmm. It's it's called Teach Argument on okay. YouTube. Um, the most recent one that I saw, they did a rhetorical analysis of all the COVID commercials that came out, how oh, companies were, um, were approaching COVID in terms of the okay. way their, their advertising messaging was responding to it. Um, they've done a few different music videos and some other commercials, but I, I kind of like if, if Teach Argument is listening to this, like if there's the one in a million chance that Teach Argument ever hears this, <laughs> your work is fantastic and please do some more, like some some more newer songs because <laughs> our students are getting old enough now that some of them are not familiar with Blank Space by Taylor Swift. And yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah, I think it just speaks to like the, just the openness of the approach, you know, um, how, how, you know, we can open it up to students. Uh, students can bring you know, their own kind of uh, experiences in. Um, I find a lot of students, we have a lot of, you know, since we teach the the composition, the general education composition courses, you know, those students are going everywhere. They're going into, you know, we have a lot of engineering students, computer science, mm. you know, uh, the, the, the hard sciences, um, you know, some humanities students. Um, so they're, they're really all over the place. And, and when they sort of you know, realize that they can bring some of those interests and, and 
um, areas of focus into their own writing or, you know, I'm teaching 1102 this semester and they're, you know, they're putting together like a large research project. Um, and, a lot, you know, I'm trying to encourage them to incorporate some of those things that they're, they may be already studying or they may be into studying and looking at, you know, the genres used and, and the types of, you know, uh, language and, and communities that are surrounding those fields. That, I think, you know, uh, allows them to sort of, you know, get more excited. I always tell them, like, it's not going to make it easy. It's not going to necessarily make it enjoyable. I know you're sure. doing it because you have to do it for this class. But if there's a way that you can kind of incorporate those interests, it's going to make it a little bit uh, easier, you know, to put that that sort of effort and, and to find that motivation for, for talking about it. Hmm. So I think that's a really good way to segue as we're talking about asset-based approaches to writing instruction, and then your area of um, of the labor-based approach to grading, right? So yes, um, yeah, talk to us talk to us a little bit about that, about um, why you made that switch, how it how it works in practice for you in the classroom. I know that it's um, it's an area of a little bit of, uh, it's a little bit divide between instructors on whether they believe in assets-based or, or labor-based approach to grading or not. So um, let's let's give you a chance to talk th- us through it a little bit and why you think sure. it's of value. Sure, sure, yeah. I, um, I used to, so I taught in high school for a little bit uh, and <clears throat> you know, I was really excited. I talk a little bit about this in, in one of my chapters, but I um, was really excited to start teaching at the high school level and teach writing and, you know, all these great books and things like that. Um, and what I slowly started to notice is that all the conversations ended up being focused on grades, <laughs> um, on points and numbers. You know, whenever I wanted to talk about writing, the focus was on, well, how can I, you know, get a better grade? That's all I care about. I don't really care about your feedback or I care only if it's going to lead to an A. Um, and so, again, that was like an area that I, I just started to feel really unsettled. And I was like, hmm, this isn't why I got into education, you know, to talk about points and numbers and letters. Um, after my high school experience, I started looking for uh, just a different approach, um, you know, as I was going to start my uh, master's. Um, and I stumbled upon, you know, some work from Peter Elbow and Mike Rose and Asal and Noy, um, specifically on uh, grading and assessment. And I, I, you know, came to the labor-based grading assessment system. And I was like, huh, this looks really interesting. I'm going to give it a shot. And so my first semester teaching as a teaching associate, I decided to try it out. I was thankful. Um, I'm thankful because I had um, a really great uh, first year writing program director who was like, hey, you know, go ahead, try it out. Let's see how it goes. Um, and I really, really enjoyed the experience. Students enjoyed the experience. And then I, I shared some of my thoughts with the department at San Diego State. And then, you know, some of them got on board too. And, uh, um, but uh, but what I found is that the system of assessment has just been just opened up the classroom for students to experiment with writing, to productively fail or to make mistakes and, you know, that being OK. I'm curious when you um, when you sort of deliver or or introduce this approach to students, um, what 
what's typically like the reaction to that? I, I'm not, you know, I'm trying to put myself like in the shoes of, you know, a student and I'm coming into this class and then professors saying, hey, we're, we're going to do this type of grading. Um, I, I think it I think it would relax me, but I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, because I think part of what's really interesting about this approach is that sort of, you know, um, trying to ad- address this problem of, you know, stress over grades and scores and things like that. You know, I, I, I find that a lot of my own experience, especially as I was saying with students that are, you know, taking my class to go into, you know, highly competitive programs like, you know, um, nursing is one that comes to mind mm-hmm. as a really big program here. And, you know, the, those students are, are highly driven, you know, to, to want to be very competitive to get into those programs. So I'm curious, like what, in your experience, what's the typically or, or maybe, you know, maybe you can share some different experiences that students have when they first kind of hear about this, they, when you introduce it to them in the classroom? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a great question. One of the ways that I really love to introduce this uh, grading method is, um, and I do this in like my conference presentations too with educators, um, uh, but uh, but I like doing this with students is I ask them, think of one word that you would use to describe grades and grading, right? And, you know, angry, happy, sad, frustrated, whatever that word might be. <clears throat> and um, what I do is I have them, you know, hold on to that word. And then I say, okay, I want to get a visual representation of that word that you chose along this um, spectrum of either positive or negative or maybe somewhere in between. There might be a few different other categories, but let's just stick with those for now. And then, you know, what I always find is I have students stand up and I say, okay, if your word falls along a negative, you know, connotation, go on this side, positive over here. Um, and so 95% of the room always goes to the negative side with that one word. And so uh, from there, I ask students, well, what, what word did you choose and why did you choose that word? And then so we have those conversations in the class. And I say, you know, a lot of what you're saying is supported by, you know, research in psychology. They'll say things like grades make me very anxious or grades lead me to be super competitive or not care about learning, you know, and things like that. Um, and so I'll say, you know, a lot of this is supported by research and psychology and writing studies. And um, we are going to try a different method of assessment in this class, one that I have found to lead students to, you know, have less anxiety, um, to be willing to, to experiment or try with the writing. And so from there, most of them are pretty much on board. <clears throat> um there, ha- in my experience, and like doing this for the last like three years of using layer-based grading, there have been maybe two or three students total who haven't uh, liked the system. Um, one, because she said it, it doesn't motivate her to want to try because there's no grade. And so we had conversations about that because I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but overall, I use that as a sort of way to say, you know, we all know there's a problem with grades, traditional grading practices. You know, what can we do about it in this class? And I sort of try to invite them into the process and then also have them reflect on the grading contract that we use and um, potentially shape it or, or change it if things are, you know, if they see something as maybe a little unfair or they want to make any adjustments. So <clears throat> just to 
Just to consider all points of view on the topic, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no no way um, um, saying I'm anti or or for, but I have a theory that um, your overachievers are always going to be overachievers, right? Sure. It doesn't matter what grading structure you have; you've got your people in your class that are going to give it their all no matter what. Sure. And then you've got people in the class that, for whatever reason, are are just not going to put in the effort, um, whether sure. it's you know personal challenges or whatever. Um, so we, we kind of end up teaching to the middle, right? Those are the people mm-hmm. that we can impact the most and we can either get on board and, and give it their all, or we kind of start to lose them. And again, you know, there's some personal, um, implications of each of those students as well and their situations, but what difference do you think there is for students in the middle with this approach versus a traditional, um, grading approach? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not so sure. I, you know, for those students, or at least from what I've seen, well, I guess I, I have a few concrete examples I can share in that um, I've had a few students who have contracted for a C or B grade. And then, you know, for at least from what I've seen, you know, put in the effort um, to to do good work on their writing assignments, despite the fact that they were, you know, signing up for a bit of a lower grade. But then what I thought was really interesting is that I had those same students take me again for the next course in the sequence and then contract for a higher grade for an A the next time around. Um, And so to me, I, you know, maybe it was part of the system, maybe it was me or the, the stuff I was teaching. But I think that speaks to just this idea of, being comfortable in this environment where students have agency to choose the grade that they would like because of, you know, all those factors, maybe work, maybe, um, you know, they have to babysit or take care of family members or whatever else it might be. Um, but they can choose the grade that, that is the most, you know, that works well for them at that point in their life. And then at a later point, you know, if they get a layer-based grading system, again, maybe choose a different grade that works a little bit better. So I think regardless of the student, one of the things that I think they really like is just being able to choose. Um, And they're not being this sort of, um, um, there's a transparency now, I think, that's not there, they haven't really experienced before. Uh, No tricks or no... um, you know, nothing's going to be pulled over them. They're going to, you know, choose the grade they want. And then if they stick with the assignments they're doing, you know, be able to to get that grade. It's funny to consider because really you get the, you can often get the grade you want regardless. Like the amount of effort you put into the class determines the grade you get, you know. And I'll, so it's <clears throat> just, I don't want to say it's an illusion that they have the choice because they always have the choice as to how much effort they're going to put in, you know, but it's like, having them think about up front, this is what I'm willing to commit to, or this is what I can realistically commit to, to, to achieve, to achieve this, this end goal, as opposed to this is still the same reality and how much effort I can put in and feeling like it's a little bit out of their hands in terms of the grade. Cause I think honestly, the effort's probably still the same. It's just that idea from the get go that they're, they're willing to accept that their effort then will drive that grade as opposed to, um, you know, uh, oh, I only got a B, you know, and not mm. really taking the ownership of that transaction. 
I, I might push back a little bit on that only because, and this is kind of the other part of layer-based grading in that, um, you know, trying to move away from systems that are inequitable. So, you know, a lot of research has shown that teachers have their own biases, especially when it comes to grading practices. And so I think sometimes there are, you know, those biases can end up influencing the grade that students get and students have no control over that. Um, and so, I mean, I have one example that I can provide. Um, there was a study done by Quinn in 2020 where he went into a second grade class and he asked um, the teachers, I have two papers here, one by Deshaun and one by Connor. Um, and what I want you all to do, and this is second grade, which is kind of funny, but what I want you all to do is grade the paper, right? Um, what grade would you give it? And what Quinn found is that Deshaun's paper was consistently graded lower than um, Connor's. But what he ended up revealing at the end is that these two papers are identical. They're, they're exactly mm -hmm. the same. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think, it, you know, in cases like that, we have those sort of racially situated biases that might end up influencing the grading practices, where in a layer-based grading system, that's you know, essentially removed uh, because, you know, students are going to turn in a paper and it's based off, you know, the amount of labor that they're doing, not necessarily the quality. We're still going to talk about quality, but not necessarily the quality of the writing assignment. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to me, too, with the labor-based grading and, and the contract uh, grading uh, where the students are sort of active in setting those expectations is that you're no longer going from a, you know, expectation expectation of an A or an expectation of this and then being deficient in that you are sort of saying, here's what, you know, we can agree upon, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, maybe time and effort put into you know, to reach this goal for, for this individual student as opposed, and then, you know, the effort may be the same in both cases, but in, I think, the the sort of contract grading, it's sort of like, well, this is what we've sort of, you know, uh, agreed upon, or like you said, it's a little more transparent as opposed to it being like, here are, you know, the expectations for the course, and then you're just falling short to whatever point you fall short. I think even though the the effort may be the same, that that's kind of a different experience for this, from the student's point of view uh, in the class. Is that kind of what how you approach it a little bit yeah yeah it is in that and again you know kind of giving students that that idea that like you know you're in control right if at any point you signed up for a b and then later maybe want an a that's that's fine or if you sign up for an a and maybe you want to later drop down to a b or c because of whatever you have going on then that's perfectly fine and you know and i will say that there are yeah like um like you all mentioned there are people who are, you know, pushing against layer-based grading. Um, I, I wrote this in my chapter as well, but Gadio talks about, um, you know, how this might be inequitable for students with disabilities. Um, and uh, there's a couple others as well. And so I think it's important to keep those critiques in mind. Um, I, and, you know, what I found for me generally is that it, it has worked really well. And, and it also mirrors to me the the way we write and the the sort of like process that we go through as as writers 
um, and, and where we publish. You know, when we write, we get feedback on our papers. We try to make it better, and then ultimately, hopefully, <laughs> after a long, long process, publish. Um, and at no point do we ever receive grades, you know, on on anything. Um, there might be criteria that we have to meet, uh, but it's not grades. And so, like letters or numbers. And so, and I think that just having that for students is is really uh, valuable. I love you. You wrote this um, in one of the the things that you sent us of your work, and it said that it you know allows an, a, f- a focus on the writing instead of the grade, and mm. I I love that because it's true. That's what they're there for. Like we are we're thinking about let's consider and really delve into you as a writer individually. And I get that it's very difficult to make um, normative kind of um, structures to evaluate writing that's authentic and is allowing students to um, to to challenge themselves and what they know writing to be and engage in different types of writing. And so I really love that part. And um, I'm curious how you navigate with labor-based grading. If someone says, okay, I'm signing up for a B, that means I have to meet these certain criteria. Um, how do you navigate the students that are not necessarily all in on trying to um, better themselves as writers, but are just trying mm. to check the, check the boxes to say I met the I met the the required amount for this grade. Sure, sure, yeah, that's that's a really great question, um, and it's something that you know I I try to you will have those students in the system and like and I try to help them as best as I can or get them to see like hey this is important or or this this matters. Um, you know, and I think at the end of the day, I'm going to, you know, try, try and, but if a student doesn't want to kind of meet me there or, or, you know, just think of it as checking boxes, then ultimately there's not a whole lot, you know, that, that I can do, or maybe that anyone can do to me that same student i think you know might have done probably the same thing within a graded grading traditional grading system um and so you know i just think that i think we're always going to have students who try to to game the system and yeah if you if a student wanted to they could just look at it as checking boxes you know i i think they, they totally could but you know i really try to emphasize you know why this matters why this is important um, especially, you know, there's no outside, there's no pressure of a grade anymore. Uh, you know, you can really focus on your writing. Um, yeah. So <laughs> those are just kind of my thoughts on that. Yeah. One thing that really struck a chord with me when I was, when I was reading your materials and, and thinking about, uh, this approach that I thought, you know, would be really, you know, helpful in, you know, courses that I teach is that, you know, and of course, the course that I'm teaching right now, ENC 1102, they're designing, you know, this research project, um, designing their own methodology. I- I'm giving them lots and lots of choices to make, you know, and I'm giving them a lot of freedom to to create this research project that'll be meaningful to them the way they want to do it. And, you know, I think for me, the way sort of traditional grades get in the way of that is that, you know, students will tend to worry about some of those choices, not from like a writing point of view or a creative point of view, but from how might this like affect the score I'm going to get and not in mm-hmm. terms of effort, but just in terms of 
um, is this is this okay? You know, will this you know will this work for this research project? Right. So they're they're very concerned about it, like not working or or failing somehow. And you know, I, I do a lot of you know uh, uh, work to sort of you know get rid of those kinds of fears and and you know encourage them and and talk to them and and support their choices and, and tell them that you know this is part of what I'm asking you to do. So yes, I think it will work. I think it will be good. Um, try something new or try something different. You know, I think they're very, you know, when you have traditional grades, I think students can be very risk averse, like to, to mm, you know, yeah. when they make choices, they don't want to go out there or they don't want to, you know, maybe ask that question that, that is a little bit, you know, so they may maybe try to stay in, in the safe lanes um, and, and don't try something new because they're worried about that risk for their grade. Um, is that something that you have found that has sort of, you know, not been an issue with, with the type of grading that, uh, that you've designed? Yeah, I have certainly. And, and I talk about this in some of my conferences too, presentations, um, where, um, I, my teacher writer heart is happy. <laughs> um, cause I'll go, I remember conferencing at the high school level and, um, you know, like I said, the conversations was, were just on grades. Oh, how can I make this better? What can I do to get the po extra point here or there? Um, but now, you know, as I had my one of my first conferences as a TA, I was kind of bracing myself. I'm like, oh, here we go. Even though we're using layer-based grading, it's going to be about getting a good grade or whatever it might be. Um, but the student came in and, and started talking about, hey, I'm trying this move here. I don't know if it really works for this audience or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and I just like, I was so happy. I was like, oh, cool. Let's talk about your writing. You know, that's what we're, we're here to do. And then the next student came in and it was the same sort of thing. Um, and so I find an investment in writing more so than, than before, or at least in my high school context. Um, and I'm even more excited to see what that's going to look like within a writing about writing approach. Um, just because I feel like, you know, it's going to make things that much better. Um, but, uh, but I certainly, yeah, I have, I have seen students really, engage with the writing, really try something out. I had one student who told me, you know, I've never um, written in this style before, so it's going to be messy, but I wanted to try something new since there's no grade, like since that's, you know, kind of the point of the class. And so, you know, things like that make me just like, oh, cool. Like this is, this is what we're here for. <laughs> I've done a lot of uh, some of the interesting things to me that that stand out are like for for some of that ENC 1101 uh, first writing about writing course will do things like the literacy narrative, which I know is is in that writing about writing book and and uh, students exploring their own literacy like stories and stuff like that. And I've had students write those literacy narratives as uh, movie scripts, as internal oh, dialogues with. Yeah, with imaginary versions of themselves or other characters. And, and so like, you know, I think about, you know, what I the work I had to do in those situations, which is to, you know, sort of, you know, kind of encourage that idea and then say, no, I think it'll be really great. And I think it'll, you know, kind of fulfill the assignment in these kinds of ways, uh, and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I'm always, you know, uh, again, like trying, trying to, to, get rid of some of that stress when students, you know, think about a creative idea, but maybe, you know, abandon it because they're like, well, I don't know if that'll, that'll work or something like that. And I think, you know, um, trying to, to make all the, the conditions in the classroom such that, you know, that those things come out even more, 
uh, is really great. And I think as you kind of get into the writing about writing approach, the, the openness of it, I think will really be a nice kind of pairing with that. Mm. I'm curious. Um, so with the removal of rubrics for assignments, do you find that Again, like, so we were talking a moment ago about how students come to you with like that anxiety, like, am I doing it right? Am I meeting the criteria that I will need mm. to pass the assignment, you know, in this, in these, in these instances? Um, and when I'm creating assignments, I typically use a rubric to make sure that I am hitting all the things I want them to be working with in the assignment. And I, I, I kind of use it as my check and checks and balances. Like I create the rubric and then I go back to the assignment and I make sure that, all of those things that I'm grading for are built into the instructions. So when you remove the rubric, do you find that you don't have to spend as much time kind of walking them through in the assignment prompt to what it is that you're looking for them to do? Or do you leave it more open-ended? Or do you spend a little bit more time and really um, touch on the actual skills you're looking for in, in terms of determining that it's a pass or it needs revision or, um, or not? Is it Are they... Are they um, disproportionate or equal, or what do you find in that? Sure, sure, yeah. I um, well, we spend a little bit of time, and I took this from Asao Anoy. Um, he does. I think he still does it now. Um, he does like co-constructed uh, rubrics, and so um, I do something sort of similar, where I co-construct uh, instead of a rubric, it's a checklist or of things that students could look to as a guide for fulfilling the requirements for this writing assignment. But I also let them know that, you know, maybe you don't do one of these things, or maybe um, your writing's gonna look a little, little different depending on, you know, what you choose to do with it. And that's perfectly okay. You know, your writing should look different. Our writing in here is, as I tell them, like it should look different from, from each other. Um, and so I spend a little bit of time upfront with that, co-constructing that, um, that checklist. And then students having an understanding of like, oh, these are the things that we can maybe look towards and then go going from there. Um, and it is a little bit open-ended in a way. Um, you know, uh, I think Doug Down said, said something like this where like, I, I won't know until I see it. <laughs> um, and that's sort of what happens a little bit uh, in my class. Um, Although I am curious to see how that's potentially going to change within, you know, writing about writing approach. But uh, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm at right now. Yeah, there's a lot of deprogramming that goes into first year mm -hmm. writing, I think, um, and in a lot of ways, you know, especially now that you're taking a writing about writing approach even more so because you welcome them in. This is not what you're used to writing K through 12. I'm not sure how um, writing is evaluated or instructed in California, but I know here in Florida, we have a lot of state standardized testing. And basically, mm. you know, a lot of their high school years are spent learning how to write to a test. To oh, demonstrate same, same. A, Yes, to demonstrate a very particular, to quote Liam Neeson, a very particular set of skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, you know, there's that moment the first week where I'm like, okay, take everything you thought you know about writing and throw it out the window, you know, take the fact that there's these assets you didn't know that you had, that there are very legitimate ways of communication that maybe you never thought of as legitimate, but are in fact. Um, and now like to add to the mix, like let's also rethink the way we're grading. Um, the literacy narrative, you see half of the, the class panics, like up to the moment that they submit it where they're like, 
what do you mean I have to write a literacy narrative? What is that exactly? And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know what your experience is or what your story is. I can't tell you you have to hit these certain marks. And um, in my first year writing, my rubrics are very open. It's like, did mm. you, you know, is your tone appropriate to the audience? You know, are you making decisions that are appropriate to this type of writing? And um, I think that that can, it can be both in, un, a little unnerving and also empowering. Once they get through that first assignment, it's like, okay, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I'm not sure if I did it right, but okay, I'll get feedback and, and I can always revise and resubmit. So there is this, um, I, I love it. I love that we're getting the chance to kind of take these incoming freshmen or incoming blossoming scholars and just kind of shake the etch-a-sketch and remove sure, what sure. they thought they knew to be true in this new world where it's much more um, it's much more realistic in terms of the way we think about how we communicate and the way we express ourselves. So we're uh, closing in our time for this ep episode, Anthony. So I was just wondering, um, you know, what are some of the things that that you're working on right now? Or, or I know you, we've got, you know, the new the course that you're doing uh, this semester, which is exciting. Um, but I wanted to just ask, like, what are some of the things like on the horizon for you that you're you're looking forward to working on, thinking about working on, whatever you want to mention or tell us about? Sure, sure, yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of questions around. Um, you know, a lot of people who critique layer-based grading on, well, it's not preparing them for going into a traditionally graded class, right? Then there's going to be that sort of disconnect. Um, and so I'm really curious to see, um, to maybe conduct, I'm still thinking through it, but perhaps conducting a study showing what happens after a student leaves a layer-based grading class and enters a traditionally, you know, graded course. Like what, what, what are the, some of the students' thoughts um, maybe thinking about doing like a mixed method study or something along those lines, um, which I think would be really, really interesting to kind of see and, um, and hopefully show that, you know, they're okay. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I don't know, right. It's an inquiry based approach. That's one of the things that I have coming up. Um, I've been thinking as of late about a, a, a PhD potentially. <laughs> um, and so there's a uc irvine which is pretty close to me here and so uh you know potentially thinking about it it's it's an english with an emphasis in rhetoric and writing studies and so um to maybe be able to do some of that research or some of that the other ideas i'm thinking about oh and also four c's coming up are, are you two going not this year not this year okay okay yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just wasn't able to to work it into the mix. That's so sure. interesting that you say there's this pushback against it because it's not preparing students for traditionally graded courses. Usually the argument we hear is you're not preparing students for life outside of academia. Like that's mm. the big thing you always hear is like, oh, that's not preparing students for the real world, you know, that there would be this argument like, well, that's not preparing them to take my class and get an A, B or C. That's just, that's, right. just, it's, that's really Ooh. remarkable in terms of like these longstanding traditions and, and what we cling to it's really interesting yeah yeah i just like what um alfie cone uh, is a researcher and psychologist he says he says oh if um you know if the world is bad out there then we have to do bad in the class to prepare them right like he, he's really against that but but i just like that um that he says that. i just think it's kind of uh, interesting to think about it that way yeah well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. It was a delight getting to talk to you and, and share your passion. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening. 
Yeah, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, and Nick, thank you for sharing your materials with me. That's really helpful. <laughs> of course, um, anytime. Great, great. Thank you all. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Right.